0: Well, um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. We have been uh, working our way through the, the end of the book of Matthew, following Jesus in the journey to the cross. And now we have arrived on the other side of the cross in Matthew, chapter 28, celebrating the good news of Jesus really is celebrating good news. And that's important because we have needed some good news over this past year, yeah? Amen. And fortunately, the resurrection of Jesus provides precisely the kind of good news that we need. There was some other good news this last year, though. Um, Disney Plus gave us good news in the form of WandaVision at some point, yeah? Some of you have no idea what WandaVision is, and that's totally cool with me. That's okay. It's a 10-part superhero show uh, which features a grieving woman named Wanda who is experiencing profound grief over the death of a superhero named Vision. The series, in a way, is an exploration of this woman's grief and the hope that lives in each and every one of us, the longing that lives in each and every one of us for life beyond death. You don't have to be a Christian to be interested in this question of finding life beyond death. In fact, you could be a superhero in the mythical Marvel universe universe, right? Um, but this this show explores this issue of grief and loss, and probably the most memorable moment in the show, at least the most used moment on social media is a moment when one of the main characters says this. What is grief if not love persevering? Can somebody say awe? Oh. It was really sweet. It was touching. And in a show about one woman's grief and her longing for life beyond death, the problem in the show is that in order to bring back one hero's life, many must suffer. Of course, the message of the gospel shows us a better hope for life beyond death. A hope in which it is not one hero's life saved by the suffering of many, but the lives of millions saved through the suffering of one. And in our own real world of real grief, and real loss, and real death, and real evil, and real injustice, and real sin. The question is this, what is our hope for resurrection? If we don't have superheroes in a mythical universe such that we can bring back the people we want. What is our hope for resurrection in our real world of grief and death and evil? What is our hope for resurrection? The passage that we put in front of us, the passage put in front of us today, takes us into the hope of the message of Easter. We're going to take some time and look through the first 10 verses of Matthew chapter 28 We'll read and comment as we work our way through. We'll begin by following the grief of two grieving women. Matthew chapter 28 verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We'll pause there for a minute. Our story picks up with two grieving women named Mary, a couple of grieving women named Mary. Now, there are a lot of Marys in the Gospels because there were a lot of Marys in the culture of their day. If they had that baby names wizard website thing that people use now, uh, the top of the charts for girl baby names year after year would have been Mary. And so here we have a couple of women named Mary, but not a couple random women. These women have proven themselves to be devoted followers of Jesus. They've been, they've proven themselves to be ride or die kinds of followers of Jesus. In fact, even when most of the disciples of Jesus fled the scene of the cross, probably only except for John, when Peter, the bold disciple, had already denied Jesus three times. Mary and Mary and perhaps a few other devoted women remain near the cross, watching all the way to the bitter end as the spear is shoved in Jesus' side just to be sure that he's dead. And then in Matthew chapter 27 verse 61, We read that Mary and Mary are there at the tomb when the body of Jesus, when the corpse is brought to the tomb and it's laid there to rest and at the direction of powerful men, a stone is rolled in front of the tomb to keep it sealed shut. These devoted followers of Jesus have seen it all. And this will be important, as we'll see in a few minutes, uh, a little bit later here in our passage. But at this point in verse 1, these two women are coming to the tomb. And notice this, they're coming to the tomb in a moment of profound grief. They're not coming to the tomb singing, Oh, happy day. They're coming to the tomb because it's a tomb. Because it's a place of death and grief, and loss. It's the place where their Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, where His body has really been buried. And before we move on too far, or too quickly from verse 1, I want to simply note that this is where Easter begins and where the message of Easter begins on purpose, because the message of Easter is a message of hope. It's a message that speaks to us in our grief. It's a message that speaks to us in our darkest moments. This doesn't prove anything, but Matthew is a skillful author and he uses the setting of this moment to kind of set the tone for what's going on. He points out in verse 1 that this was after the Sabbath toward the dawn. He points out that the story of Easter begins in the dark before the dawn. It begins in that moment of darkness when the light is just beginning to rise, when things are about to change and change dramatically, when things are going to look profoundly different in the light in the near future. And yet things are still in that quiet, dark before the dawn. Easter is a message of hope for light out of real darkness. It's a message of hope for freedom out of real chains. It's a message of hope for confidence out of real doubts. It's a message of hope for redemption out of real rebellion. It's a message for hope for honor out of real shame. It's a message of hope for joy growing out of real sorrow. It's a message of hope for life coming out of real death. The message of Easter is a message of hope. This week, my wife Katie uh, was feeling the grief of somebody else's sins or somebody else's mistakes, maybe would be a better way to put it. You know that pain, the pain of seeing somebody else's decisions and how their decisions affect you? We usually think that my decisions are my own personal business and they won't affect anybody else. But when somebody makes wrong decisions, very often the mud of those decisions will splash and splatter onto other people. And in a particular moment, my wife was feeling that kind of effect, feeling the effects of somebody else's mistakes being splattered on her. She was feeling the real grief of that. And I said to her, not flippantly, but genuinely, remember that Easter begins in the dark before the dawn. The the hope of Easter speaks to us right here, right now, in these moments when things feel really bleak. And some of you are living through a family situation that feels unbearable. Some of you are, have been spinning in circles over some part of your life that you want to see redemption, and but there just doesn't seem to be any change. Some of you are feeling weary to the bone. Some of you today and this year are grieving real loss of loved ones since last Easter. This is a first point, however briefly, I don't want to skip it. the Easter message gives hope. The message of Easter gives hope, the hope of dawn, the hope of light, the hope of life breaking forth from death. And now as dawn approaches and as the darkness is losing its grip, Mary and Mary go to visit the tomb where the dead body of Jesus has been sealed. Read with me what happens next in verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. There's another earthquake. There was already an earthquake while Jesus was dying on the cross, but here's another. Remember creation itself. Is longing for redemption. And an angel from the Lord, a representative of the kingdom of heaven, arrives on the scene and rolls back the stone that was placed there to seal the grave shut. The kingdom of heaven is here and the kingdom of heaven is rolling away the stone by the power of one warrior of dazzling light. One warrior dressed in heavenly brilliance. And at first glance, this may seem like nothing but good news. When we think of angels, I think too often we imagine heavenly harp players in diapers who just play kind of heavenly elevator music and come to just say nice things and pat people on the back. Angels in the Bible look almost nothing like that. Angels in the Bible are frightening. Consider for a moment, as the kingdom of heaven is arriving on the scene here on the first Easter, consider that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, the day of the Lord is typically a day of fierce judgment. And consider that, just think about the book of Revelation for a moment, if you would, or go and read the book of Revelation sometime later we'll discover that far from cute little cherubs who play harps, angels are very often deliverers of the Lord's righteous judgment of evil in this world. And notice that Matthew quickly reminds us that the arrival of this representative of heaven, the arrival of this angel does not automatically mean good news for everybody. In fact, when the imperial Roman soldiers see this angelic warrior of light, when the imperial Roman soldiers see this representative of the kingdom of heaven, I think they actually get it right. They are petrified that the kingdom of heaven is drawing near while they stand in opposition to Christ. So they freeze in fear. And the text says, they became like dead men. It's an ominous description that I think is here to remind us of a second point, that the message of Easter is not good news for everyone. Probably not what you expected to hear at an Easter service. Make no mistake, we'll talk about this later on. The message of Easter needs to be taken to everyone. But if the Son of God has been crucified for our sins and risen again, and if the kingdom of heaven is drawing near, some of us would be wise not simply to presume upon heaven's kindness. In fact, we think of Jesus as just this loving and nice guy. He taught things like you should love your neighbor as yourself. He did teach things like that. And that is profound ethical instruction that is deeply needed in our day. But Jesus who came and said things like, you should love your enemy as your, you should love your enemies. Notice how Matthew summarizes the essence of his message. When the ministry of Jesus is beginning to go public at the beginning of this book of Matthew that we're reading in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, Matthew summarizes Jesus' message like this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Make no mistake, our God is a God of love. But if the God of holy love is drawing near to a world that is stained by sin and evil, then we would be wise not to presume upon heaven's kindness but instead to listen to the message of God's Son who called us to repent in light of His coming kingdom. Notice that the message of Easter is not good news for everyone. The arrival of the angel and the removal of the stone leaves the imperial soldiers like dead men. Let's keep reading as the angels now address the followers of Jesus. He addresses them like this in verse five, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And here's the good news about Jesus who was crucified for our sins. He is not here for he is risen as he said. Calling to mind a number of times that Jesus had spoken about his death and resurrection. And then notice what the angel says to them next come and see the place where he lay. Here's a third thing that we need to notice about the Easter message it's true. It's true. Now when I say that it's true, I want to quickly add that I know what it's like to doubt the truth of the resurrection because in my own life, I spent quite a bit of time doubting the truth of the resurrection. There was a season in my life when I kind of followed a certain train of thought and it began to seem to me most likely that maybe Jesus' disciples just made up this stuff about the resurrection. Maybe Jesus taught a lot of good ethical teachings and then died. I, 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 I had studied history in college, and so I knew well enough to say, well, there's no point in denying that Jesus lived. There's way too much evidence for that. There's no point in denying that Jesus died. There's way too much evidence for that. But I thought perhaps this stuff about the resurrection was just made up by his followers. Maybe the empty tomb can be explained by Disciples just coming and stealing the body, and then saying, "Look, the tomb's empty." I myself kind of bought into some of these kinds of doubts, and if you're there yourself, I just want to say, uh, I feel like I feel like you're one of my people. I've been there myself, doubting the resurrection, but I want to draw your attention to the fact that Matthew's gospel the scripture that we have open in front of us, wants to go to great lengths to show us that this idea of the resurrection of Jesus is true. It's not just a sweet idea that makes people feel better about life. It's not just a made-up idea. The author of the book of Matthew wants to go to great lengths to show us This message is not only beautiful, it's not only hopeful, but it's true. And notice how Matthew's Gospel takes out some of the most common theories used to debunk the resurrection. There's the question of whether Jesus actually died. We might call this kind of the soap opera explanation of the resurrection, right? I don't really watch soap operas, but I know enough about those midday TV shows that when people die, they often pop out of the box again because they just had like a momentary like heart lapse or something and then they're alive again. Surprise! And this is one of the theories that's often used about the resurrection except for this fact. The Romans were really good at killing people. They studied the art of it. They mastered the art and... And these very women who are there at the tomb that day, they were there when when Christ was crucified. They watched the spear get shoved into His side to be totally sure that He was dead. They watched the lifeless corpse fall off the cross when it was removed. They watched the lifeless corpse as it turned blue with no breath, no heartbeat. They watched that corpse get bound up. They watched that corpse get taken all the way to the tomb, which removes another objection. Sometimes people suggest that there's the question of whether they went to the right tomb. Maybe the tomb was empty because they went to the wrong tomb that day. But Matthew has already carefully shown us in Matthew chapter 27, they were there when the body was taken to the tomb. They saw it taken in there and they saw the Roman soldiers stationed there to guard that tomb. There's the question of whether somebody else stole the body. Then there's the answer of these Roman soldiers stationed there to make sure that wouldn't happen. All of these questions are reliably answered here in Matthew's Gospel. And then when the women come to the tomb and they meet this angelic figure standing outside of the tomb, what does the angelic figure say to them? I think when some of us think about faith in the resurrection, we imagine the angel saying something to those who perceive the empty tomb along these lines. Don't bother looking at the evidence. Just take a blind leap of faith and see if it feels good to you. Sometimes we imagine that's what the angel would say. But notice what the angel says. It's kind of just the opposite of that. He doesn't say just take a blind leap of faith and see if it feels good to you. He says, come and take a look inside. The tomb is empty. The body, the corpse that you saw taken in there just two evenings ago, it's gone. The tomb is empty. Now come and see for yourself, the angel says to them. Well, of course, some of us might be still inclined to doubt whether or not these women's testimony could be reliable more on that in just a moment. But notice that it's not only a few people who saw the empty tomb and can testify to the historical credibility of this event of Jesus rising. After the tomb was discovered to be empty, Jesus himself appeared to people a number of times. And when he appeared to them, it wasn't just like this ghost hallucination. He did real world things with them like eating fish. Ghosts don't eat fish. He does real world things with them like eating bread and drinking wine. Apparently he wasn't an American Baptist. But Jesus shows up and he does these real world things with these people so that there is now not just a couple of testimonies out there saying the tomb's empty. There's now a whole host of people who can say, I saw him alive again. And it was him for real. In fact, listen to what one skeptic went on to write. One skeptic who was alive When Jesus was crucified and when the story of the resurrection began to spread. One skeptic who devoted his life to stopping this message about Jesus risen from the dead. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He became later a follower of Jesus despite the fact that he had invested much of his time trying to stamp out the message of Jesus. And listen to what Saul of Tarsus says to others about the historical credibility of this thing called the resurrection of Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He really was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And, sometimes we stop reading there, but there's more. And, He appeared also to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. You see what Peter, what what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus actually rose from the dead. And when he rose, it's not just that this theory was spreading around because there wasn't a a body in the tomb anymore. When he rose, he showed up in the flesh and he appeared to more than 500, more than 500 people at once. In other words, Paul, and he says, and most of them are still alive today in his day. In other words, he's saying, I've got receipts. And so you could imagine the debate happening if somebody in the city of Corinth wants to say, yeah, this resurrection stuff, it's a hopeful idea, but just take a blind leap of faith and see how it feels for you. You can imagine Paul saying, no, I'm going to go and call 400 people. Some of them are dead already. Okay. So let's, let's give them a hundred dead. All right. Let's call 400 people here and one after another, we're going to ask them, What they saw and they get up and they say, I saw Jesus in the flesh after I saw him dead. And then the next one comes and says, yeah, I was there and I saw him. He was a real person, not just a figment of our imagination. The next person comes and says, I ate fish with him. Next person comes and says, I had wine with him. Next person comes and says, yep, I saw him too. And we do that about 395 more times. Testimony after testimony declares that he really was risen from the grave. It's not just the empty tomb that corroborates the angel's message. 500 witnesses to this fact of the resurrection. 500 witnesses can back up what the angel declares to be the good news that he is risen. It's true. It really happened. And Matthew wants to leave us with no uncertainty. This is not just a fable that we make up to make ourselves feel better in the face of death. This is something that really happened. If we could echo the words of Juan division for just a moment, what is Easter? If not, Christ's love persevering in triumph over death. What would Easter be if Jesus were not actually raised? Nothing. What would Easter be if it was just an opportunity for us to say, let's have hopeful thoughts about life after death? What would it be? It would be nothing. In fact, Paul himself says that in the New Testament. We heard the scripture read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Those are bold words from somebody who has gone from opposing the message of the resurrection to risking his own life over and over and over again to tell other people that Jesus is risen. These are bold words from somebody who has gone from opposing the resurrection to risking his life for the resurrection to say, if he's not actually raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins if he's not raised from the dead. Listen, we need to recognize this truth about the Easter message. It is real. It happened. He is risen. We have to see this. But let's keep reading because that's not the end of the angel's message to these faithful women. Pay attention to where the message goes next in verse 7. Then, after you come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell. Go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Here's a fourth thing that I want to point out about the Easter message. Point number four the Easter message needs to be passed on. This good news that is true, that really actually happened, that he is risen, this historical message about him being risen from the grave is news that needs to be passed on. And on that first Easter Sunday, we need to ask the question, by whom? Who is called to pass on the message of Easter on the first Easter? And we notice that the first representatives of the message of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ are two women. Two faithful followers of Jesus. Two women named Mary. And this is significant because in their culture, at their time, women's voices were not regarded as very reliable. Sadly, women's voices were regarded as unreliable. In fact, it's an often repeated fact that in Roman culture and Roman society, the testimony of a woman was not accepted As credible evidence, at least not as evidence on the same level as the testimony of a man. Which, by the way, only corroborates the truth of what happened even more, right? Because if the disciples had wanted to just, if the disciples had just made up a story and said, we're going to make up this stuff about resurrection to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves famous, or whatever the case may be, they wouldn't have written the story this way. Not in their time and in their place. We need to notice that the first disciples called to pass on the message of the historical resurrection are two women. Two women whose voices in their own culture and in their own society would not have been respected. And I want to pause and recognize, sadly, that in our own time and in our own culture, in many ways, women's voices are still not respected. And that's sad. And that's grieving. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Whether it's out in the world, or in the marketplace, or in the workplace, or in homes, or unfortunately even in the church sometimes. Voices of women are not given the credibility that they deserve. And so whether it's the world of their day back then, or the world of our day today, women's voices are often not received as reliable. But notice how differently things work in the kingdom of God. Notice how different, notice how differently the kingdom of heaven is. As the kingdom of heaven breaks into this world which does not rightly value the voices of women, the kingdom of heaven breaks into this world and entrusts the message of the gospel to two faithful women. It says, Go and tell this message to others. Go and spread the good news that he is risen. Of course, maybe there's, we could go beyond what's written here, but I think too often across history, churches and Christians have found ourselves saying less than what's found here. Listen, when we talk about every member ministry in the body of Christ, we don't mean every male member ministry in the body of Christ. We mean that every member of the family of faith, male and female, younger and older, etc., etc. But we mean every member of the body of Christ, every member of the family of faith has been given gifts and has been given a message that needs to be spread to others. Let me talk to women who are part of this congregation. We want to value your voice. And I want to encourage you to pay attention to this fact that on the first Easter, the message of the gospel was entrusted to faithful women who would go and tell it to others. I need to move on for the sake of time, but notice who is entrusted with this message, faithful women, and notice who they are called to take it to. Notice who they're called to take it to is there in verse 7. Excuse me, is that right? Is there in uh blah, 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 blah. I'm missing it right now. Yeah, go quickly and tell his disciples. There it is in verse seven. Who Who are they supposed to take the message to? They're supposed to take it to the disciples. Listen to me. The church needs to hear the good news that Jesus is risen from the grave. Did you realize that? Sometimes we think that the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is only a message for them out there. But the perspective of the New Testament over and over and over again is you know who needs to hear the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day? The church needs to hear that good news. There on that first Easter, the first recipients of the good news are not the nations out there, but the disciples. It's it's the eleven who need to be gospelized. Just as it's often those of us within the church who need to be gospelized today there's something good and right and sweet when we within the body of christ share with one another this good news that he is risen there's something life-giving about it in fact let me just invite you to do this right now for a second all right can you just look at somebody else sitting near you or one or two other people around you and just tell them he is risen can you just do that just tell somebody sitting near you that he is risen There's something life-giving about this. And I want to give you kind of a homework assignment related to this Easter story. Since the message that He is risen is meant to be taken to the disciples, I want to encourage you in your next community group, for those of you who are part of this church family, I want to encourage you to take some time at your next community group and just talk about this good news that He is risen And talk about some of the ways that this good news, that He is risen, is encouraging and life-giving and edifying for us. And so maybe there's going to be somebody there at the gathering who just feels kind of stuck in sin or trapped by sins or trapped by patterns that they feel like they can't get out of. And maybe you could just take a moment and remind them, listen, He is risen. And as Romans 6 says, because He's risen and because we are risen with Him, we are alive now in a new kind of life. A life that is no longer dominated by slavery to sin. You're free to live a new kind of life. And we can remind one another, this is good news, He's risen. Or maybe we will talk with a brother or a sister in the group who is really struggling with the fear of what comes after life or what will judgment be like or have I done enough or whatever the questions may be. And we could just encourage them with the good news that He is risen. And for all who believe Though you die, yet shall you live. Because he's risen, there is hope in his name. Maybe there will be somebody there in your community group who is feeling like, like kind of at the end of their rope in ministry, right? Whether it's ministry in the home or ministry in the church or ministry in the community. Sometimes we get to this place of feeling like it's pointless, why have I invested so much of my heart? Why have I invested so much of my time in this ministry? And one of the reasons we end up there sometimes is because a lot of times when we pour out our heart into someone in our family or to someone in our church or to someone in our community, when we pour out our heart, sometimes it looks like it's been pointless. Sometimes the visible fruit that we can see is not as encouraging as we would want it to be, right? And so we find ourselves saying it feels like this has all kind of been in vain. But notice that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our final resurrection and that final day of judgment, which is to come, he ends that discussion of the resurrection saying, therefore... Be immovable in the Lord, always abounding in Him, knowing that in Him your labor is not in vain. This is the good news that He is risen, and because He is risen and we will rise again with Him, what we can see in terms of fruit today is not all there is to be measured in terms of true fruitfulness. I'm just sketching out a few ways, but do you see what I'm talking about? Listen, the Gospel of Matthew is telling us about something that happened back then. The message that He has risen was entrusted to a couple of faithful followers who were sent to tell it to the disciples. But this was written not only for their sake, it was written for our sake. And still today, what do we need to do with this message that He ri- has risen? We need to go and tell it to one another. We need to pass it on to others in the household of faith. But notice, not only others in the household of faith, We need to pass on this message that he is risen to a world that is lost and dying apart from him. Matthew chapter 28 does not end in verse 8. If we skip down to verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, we read the very last words of Matthew's gospel. The very last words of his gospel, which expand the vision of how we go and tell that he is risen. Verse 18 the familiar words of the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and tell, was the angel's message to these faithful disciples. Go and tell that He is risen. And then there's this theme of the disciples going and meeting Jesus in Galilee. Why Galilee? I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but Galilee, because in their day, they understood Galilee to be the gateway to the nations. So Jesus says, you want to meet me in my resurrection? Come and meet me at the gateway to the nations. And then I'll give you further marching orders. I'll give you further instruction. I'll send you out on your mission. And what is that mission? Go and tell Go and make disciples among all the nations. This message needs to be passed on to one another in the church, and it needs to be passed on to the ends of the earth. That's a fourth point we want to notice. And now one final point about the message of Easter. It leads us to Jesus. Look with me if you would at verses 9 and 10. And behold, Excuse me, I'll pick up at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I love that combination of emotions, right? This is so amazing that I'm kind of afraid of it. (laughs) This is so life-changing, I'm a little bit worried. But also great joy, because he's alive. It's not just that someone came back from the grave, he came back from the grave. This combination of fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples, and I love this, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. They're going in the way of the mission, they're going, and they're, they're go, they're gonna go and tell the disciples, but as they go and tell, what happens? Jesus himself meets them. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, what's up? And they came and took hold of his feet, which is at once an act of worship, and also yet another proof that he ain't no ghost. They took hold of his feet and they worshipped him because that's what you do when the Son of God rises from the dead. You worship him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell. You hear this theme? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And there's kind of this chain reaction set off, right? The women are called to go and tell that he is risen. But when they go and tell that he is risen, other disciples are drawn into the mission as well. And they will be sent to go and tell. And along the way, they will meet him themselves. And we might read this and say, well, that's sweet that back then people got to walk with Jesus. What about us? Don't forget the very last words of Matthew's gospel. The words of Jesus. Behold, I am with you. I am am with you faithful followers who are going and telling others know this i am with you the easter message leads us to jesus himself it's not just a message about how you can discover life after death it's not just a message about how your hero can discover life after death it's not even only a message. About how countless millions of people can discover life after death through the suffering of the One. It's the message about how countless millions of people can discover life after death and life forevermore because of the suffering of the One who is now alive and in whose presence we will live and rejoice forevermore. He is risen. The essence of the Easter message is this. He is risen. And the takeaway for us, pass it on.